Dear Heavenly Father, this is why we gather together right now, is we want to proclaim how great you are. Lord, you are so worthy of our worship, and Lord, we pray that as you reveal, and as we delve into your word today, that we see more of your greatness seen, of your amazing attributes. Lord, uh, prepare our hearts to know you more, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, our message today comes from Romans uh, 8. We're starting in verse 31 through 39, so if you want to uh, start to open your Bibles or get your devices ready for that, uh, we will be uh, delving into that passage in just a moment. I, I really, truly cannot describe what a joy and encouragement it has been to study these and meditate on these, this passage this week. Uh, some, some passages are more heavy and difficult to study and preach, and usually it's because it exposes and convicts us of our sins and shortcomings. And sometimes, like even last week's passage, there's a lot of deep theological concepts and even terms that need to be defined. But today's scripture focuses on God's character, his plan, and his work, and how superior it is to anything else in the entire created order. And when we read this together, be prepared to see that, how much greater is God and his character and his plan and his work than anything else. My preparation always includes not only reading and rereading the, the section of scripture, but also in reading multiple English translations of, of the passage and the verses. And many of, many of our Bibles have subheadings uh, in them. And these are not the inspired word of God. They're just simply the compiler's attempts to provide an overview of the essence of, of what's contained below. The interesting fact that I noticed was that every one of the Bibles I looked at that had any kind of a heading uh, shared the same heading. It contained God's everlasting love. And that is definitely the theme of our passage today as you read this. But I'd just like to add one more, I think, very important word to that, and that's the word sure. When you read verses 31 through 39, you see God's sure and everlasting love. And that's the title of today's message, God's sure and everlasting love. It's, it's almost a hymn when you read it and keep rereading. It's almost like a song or a hymn, H-Y-M-N, uh, of, of our security in him, H-I-M. He is, he is so clearly the focus of this, and our response as we read and, and unearth this, I, I hope you'll see that this highlights uh, a little bit more of it. The, the passage that we read from Psalms today is another great highlight of the love of God. Uh, and I encourage you, to get, if you get a chance, meditate on that, that Psalm 36 passage again this week to see more of the attributes of God. Uh, but our passage in Romans definitely talks about that, the unchanging attribute of his love. So let's go ahead and jump into our passage here. Again, this is Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, angels or rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul starts this segment with a series of questions beginning with a reference to verses prior to this, when he says, what then shall we say to these things? Well, not only should we be thinking, what should we say to these things, but by inference, what should we think about these things? These things that he is referring to are what we've been studying for the last several weeks. Last week, we were reminded that, all, that in all circumstances, we're working, are working for God's glory and for the good of his predestined followers of Christ, and that ultimately we will be glorified with Christ. Other things that Paul is referring to, uh, we know that God is sovereign over all things, we know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and we know that creation is groaning and waiting in hope right now. Those are thing, the things that we know, and those are the things that he's referring to. And that is why Paul's answer to the first question is actually two more questions. In essence, he's asking the readers if they've understood and heard what he's just been teaching them. It's like he's saying, do you understand that God is for us? He is pro-us. Do you get it? Now, while he is, first of all, for himself and his glory, that is God's greatest and number one issue, is everything is done for his glory. And at the same time, he also cares for and loves us. And he's made a way for us through his son, Jesus Christ, to be glorified with him. It all depends, as, we've, as, we, as we talked about last week, it all depends upon God. It is not in our own strength. It's not something we've done. It's not something in our own character that just makes us deserve any of these things. It's all God's working from beginning to end. He's sovereign over all of it and sovereign over all of the circumstances that are, that are part of that. Um, Nick's, Nick preached a couple of weeks ago on the fellowship that we have in Christ that even includes suffering. And the, the communion that we celebrate together each week shows that we identify with Christ in every way, including those sufferings of him giving up his body and blood for us our hope is in him, his finished work. And, and that's why we celebrate communion every week. We want to remember and identify and show that we identify with him. And it's because of our intimate fellowship with him, who could possibly stand against that? Who can stand against us? If we are in that intimate fellowship with him, what can stand against us? The fact that God is foundation to all of our thinking, that, that whole fact, we're intimate fellowship with him. It's got to be foundation 
to all of our thinking about the Christian faith. The presupposition or starting point of the Christian faith is what Hebrews 11:6 6 says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you're not embracing who God has revealed himself to be, which is the creator, sustainer, and savior of the world, and that he blesses and rewards his people, then you're missing the message of the Bible. The whole Bible talks about that. It's throughout from beginning to end. This is, there is a God who exists. Genesis 1 makes it very clear. In the beginning, God. He's the, he's the presupposition of everything else in the story. He exists, and he blesses, and he is for his people. And we see his love shown to us in, it, in all these different passages, like the ones we've already read, some of the songs that we've sung, and in our passage today. This book describes his nature, his character, and his power, and it's meant to give us hope for the future. Scoffers and the world systems and Satan himself cannot prevail against God's word. And I think we all know that there have been many attacks, and there are still to this very day, many attacks on the word of God. Did God really say? But that's nothing different from what it says at the very beginning. Satan's attack on Adam and Eve on the garden was, did God really say? Can you really trust what God says? This is our beginning and starting point, is that we can trust what God says. He's revealed this to us. This is not just man's writings about God. It is God's revelation to people. And nothing is going to prevail against that. Even with all the attempts to burn it, ban it, and everything else, God's word still stands. Paul's next question and answer points to the most powerful evidence of this truth. God sacrificed his son to save us, so obviously he cares for us and will give us all things. The, the Greek word for all things uh, is pas, P-A-S, and it means whole, every, any, as many as, thoroughly, daily, whosoever. Do you get the gist? It means all things. It is the most comprehensive all, if you get the gist of this. God's not holding out on us. God is not a stingy God. He's already lavished his love on us by giving us his only son, who is the only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. That is the most precious gift that we could ever receive. We've got no reason to question his generosity and his care for us, but we do have plenty of reason to be grateful. And even when, as we've been learning, even when circumstances look difficult, we don't have to question. We can trust God's character that he's revealed to us in Scripture. And he is a loving God, and he does care for us, so we can now rejoice and be thankful for what he's done. The next question in verse 33 is then, is who then can bring a charge or accusation against believers? And their prompt response to this is that the perfectly just judge is himself the one who declares us innocent. He's the only one with the power to pardon. We have to remember that. He's the judge. He's got the, he's got the power to pardon. 
We can't be declared guilty any longer because the holy and highest judge declares us righteous. And this is the most supreme court in the universe. We've got state supreme courts, we've got our country's supreme court, and that's supposed to be the final authority in adjudicating any, any issues that come up. And you can't appeal past the Supreme Court of the United States, for instance. There's no more appeal. You can't go any higher. But God's authority is higher than, than any judicial system in anywhere in, on the planet here. God's court is the highest court. That is the truly supreme court, is, is, is God's court. And he declares us righteous. When, when any court gives a verdict and it's given, as I say, there's no, more, there's no more appeals because there isn't any higher authority. And in, in God's courtroom, he declares, what he declares is final and it can't be overturned. And that's good news for us. If we're guilty sinners who've been declared innocent and righteous, nothing can overturn that. Nothing is going to take that away. Nothing is going to override that. He determines right and wrong. And he's the highest authority because he made everything. That gives him the authority to determine what is right and wrong. And we're considered innocent because the innocent and blameless lamb, Jesus Christ, was the substitute for our sins. In God's court, justice has been served because the penalty for sin has been paid. That's it. It's sure and final. It's paid, it's done. As Jesus' last words on the cross, it is finished. And we can trust that. That's the surety that we have. It is a sure thing. It has gone through the highest court, and that's the final verdict. In verse 34, he asks, who condemns when, is it, when it is in fact Jesus who bore all of the condemnation for our sin? Sin was overcome. It was hung on a cross. All sin, past, present, and future that we've committed has been hung on the cross. Jesus was triumphant over death and over sin. He rose from the de dead, as the text says, and this demonstrates his victory over sin to all of creation. The empty tomb shows all of creation. Not even death could overcome the power of God through Jesus Christ. So again, that condemnation for all of our sins has passed on to Jesus Christ. And this event was part of God's sovereign, predetermined plan, just like our salvation was. It's not God's contingency plan. God didn't, when people started sinning, when Adam and Eve in the garden sinned, and when we sin every day, God doesn't, is not running around thinking, oh no, what do I do now? Nothing surprises God. He knows, he has decreed these things that will happen, and this is part of his plan. It's not a consolation prize. This is God's infinite riches being poured out on it, just as God decreed. Uh, there's a point of application here I don't want us to miss, and that's the value of this, of this gift, of what we've been given. Do each of us value the gift of Christ and what that is. Do we value other things more highly than Christ? Are we more excited and concerned 
about our health, our jobs, our homes, our relationships, our vacations, entertainment, politics, promotions, investment, than we are about eternal life. Let that sink in. All of us, at times and in varying degrees, let these other things become more important of a focus for us, if we're honest with ourselves. We know that we, are, we have this tendency to let other things become more important. I want to bring us back to remember this most important gift and how precious it is, how infinitely expensive it was, how lavish it was. This is an amazing gift. It's easy to see Sometimes how like false teachers, especially ones that promote maybe a prosperity gospel, uh, are, are chasing after the gift instead of the giver. But before we start condemning other people, I think we need to look in the mirror and say, what about us? Am I worshiping this more? Ugh. But God's love breaks through all of that. And remember, our salvation is sure and secure and final because it's God who does all of the work. And I just want to encourage everyone to just check your hearts about this as, as we go through this, this coming week of Thanksgiving. <laughs> check your heart about this. Where else are my affections going? Ask yourself, do you treasure Christ above all? And catch yourself in that moment. <laughs> okay, am I really treasuring Christ or am I treasuring me? Because it usually gets back to, am I getting what I want at this time? What about Christ? Do we treasure that? Do we treasure him? He's the surest treasure that we could ever possess, and nothing can take that treasure from us. Thieves, thieves can't break in and steal, and moths and rust are not going to be able to destroy that one gift that we have, which is Jesus Christ. Nobody can take that from us. That's sure. That's secure. Part of the all things that we are given in verse 32 is forgiveness for all of our sins. And this goes back to verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free because Christ was condemned. And if that isn't great enough, we see that Jesus is now seated at God's right hand, interceding on our behalf before the Father. Back to the high court of heaven, Jesus is declaring that all believers to be righteous if we're in him. I, I Just always that picture of the covering, we're in him. That cloak that covers us and all of our sins. We're in him, seen by the Father as holy and righteous, just like the spotless, blemish-free lamb, Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing to wrap your mind around. His righteousness is given to us and imputed to us as, as guilty sinners. Jesus is the bypass from that deadly road of sin that we were all on at one time. I, which I, I think of a bypass. It's kind of easy for us here if, if you live in, in, in our, our local town here in Vacaville because we've, we've been seeing all this road construction going on on our main freeway here, right? Think about the, the bypass that we've had to have and they're changing lanes and all these other things to make a bypass this newer, better, smoother, faster road. Uh, Jesus has put us on a new road. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus is the new road that we're on. And our freeway here is undergoing all that construction for the, the diamond lane that allows vehicles with multiple people to, to bypass the traffic and the and rush hour on a nice, smooth, fast lane. And, and the picture or analogy that just came to mind for me when I read this verse is, is that freeway. We're in Christ, we're put on this different lane, and we get all the blessings and privileges of being in that lane. And by the way, God is the pilot. <laughs> The driver. God is not our co-pilot. No matter what some bumper stickers out there might say, we as believers submitting to the Lordship of Christ, he's in control. He's the sovereign one. He's driving the car. We get the benefit of being in the car with him and in that faster, smoother lane because of the work that he's done. Just one small way to visualize that blessing that we have. But that blessing is eternal and it is secure. Something to be very, very thankful for. We see in, in verse 35 a question based on Christ's lavish love uh, that we have just considered. It's been firmly established in the, in the previous verses how much the Lord loves us. And Paul now wants believers to understand that this love is secure. It's not fickle or dependent on circumstances. Uh, nothing can separate us from this love. As he says, even tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And, and you know what? From Paul's perspective, this isn't just theoretical. He's actually encountered all of those situations in his own personal life. So he's not just pontificating, saying, oh yes, he'll take care of you in all those difficult circumstances that you're going to go through. Paul's actually experienced these things that he's talking about right here. He's speaking from, from having lived it and having the Lord walk him through all of those different situations. Speaking from authority there on, on, on that. And none of that's going to separate him. Paul himself has experienced these things, and he's telling us that we can all be assured that the Lord is with us even through the most difficult trials, he also cites the passage from Psalms 44.22 where it says, uh, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The Old Testament is bearing witness to the fact that even when circumstances are bleak, we can trust and call on, on God. And these things happen to both Old Testament prophets and New Testament saints, and it still happens to us today. So we shouldn't be surprised. These things are still going to happen to us. But we are in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is with us to guide and comfort us through all of these different trials that we are going to still experience. We're living in a fallen, sin-cursed world. Don't expect that everything is always going to be easy. That's, that's a different gospel. This is telling us very, very clearly these things will happen, but it's okay. You are secure in the love of Christ. We have that assurance, so we don't have to worry. He will walk us through that. The next verse is key because it reminds us that we as believers are more than conquerors because of Jesus. The Greek word for conquer carries the connotation of complete, overwhelming, or total victory. The reason, again, that we're able to overcome these things is because 
because God turns everything, including suffering and even death, into something good that glorifies him and blesses us. Just as we studied last week in verse 28, that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a fact. That's a truth. We can rely on that. And Paul finishes this chapter with one more list of things that people fear uh, that are not capable of separating, separating from God's love that is found in Jesus Christ. He states that he's fully convinced that nothing in death or life can, sep- can separate the believer. Specifically, that not even fallen angels, which we call demons, or worldly authorities, which are the rulers and, and powers in, in this world right now, can remove God's love from us. Nothing in time or space can thwart God's plan of salvation for his chosen. In case that wasn't clear enough, he finishes with, nor anything else in all of creation. I love that phrase. There isn't anything you can even think of, even the invisible things that he's made that we can't see, whether it's air or... Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now that is sure. And this is how sure we can be as believers. You know, the world today rejects the premise that we can know anything for certain. And it's, it's kind of frustrating sometimes when you have to listen to people say that, whether it's somebody pontificating from uh, maybe a, a higher education uh, standpoint or on the radio or in blogs or wherever you find it. But you see people just railing against the fact that you can't know anything for sure. There's no absolutes. You can't know anything for sure. And that flies in the face of the one sure thing that, that we have. And of course, the, the other thing is that, that that statement, if you can't know anything for certainly, it's proclaimed with certainty, so it's self-refuting. So consider the logic of stating, you can't know anything for sure. Are you sure of that? Do, do you understand? It's self-refuting. It just does, you, this is not logic. This is not sound reason. This is people trying to suppress the truth of God, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. It makes no logical sense, but that's what they're, they're, they're sure that you can't be sure. And if we, if we as Christians know the truth, and we know how sure things are, they think we're maybe being arrogant because we're sure. It's like, no, we're not any better or any smarter than anybody else. But this is the surety that we're given from God in his revealed word. We're not saying we're better. We're just sure because there is the one that we can be sure in. And he doesn't change. He doesn't have to have his, uh, somebody counsel him on what the truth is. He is the creator of all truth. And these, these people that want to start trying to make comments about that, um, if anyone ever declares that to you, they simply ask them if they're sure of that. <laughs> or are they sure that you can't be sure? And then you can go on to talk about something that makes more sense because they're just throwing out excuses. Um, we just know that the one is secure and God's everlasting love is sure. This passage is a beautiful expression of of praise for God's sure and everlasting love, as well as his perfect and complete justice and power and grace. And we implore you to just consider the fullness and richness of this gift of salvation. 
And to remember that we are more than conquerors because we are in Christ. In him we live and move and have our being. Remember that scripture passage. Don't let this world trouble you. Uh, We're not separated from him. Nothing can separate us. And that's good to remember in this season of thanksgiving. We have much to be thankful for today. I I was sharing with a couple brothers and sisters as we were praying before, before service today. God's timing on this is great. I mean, the passage that we've just read is about God's sure and everlasting love. What season are we in? Thanksgiving. What, what, what could you be more thankful for than God's sure and everlasting love? The creator and sustainer of the universe giving you the surety that he loves you and that nothing can separate us from him. I pray that you get the opportunity to maybe share some of that hope and some of that joy and some of that assurance that you have about the position we have as believers with your loved ones as we, as we go through this week. When you sit down at a table with others who maybe don't even know who to give thanks to, that we know who we're giving thanks to, and we know that <laughs> our salvation is, is sure and that his love, the creator's love for us, is a sure thing. And we can proclaim that. As we move to our time of communion, we are proclaiming and giving thanks for our union with Jesus Christ. We, we celebrate Christ's victory over death as we prepare to take communion. His blood and body was the most extravagant gift ever bestowed upon the human race. The world does not possess riches that are equivalent to the sacrifice that's of, of Jesus Christ, and we can never repay such an awesome gift. We can give thanks as we proclaim and acknowledge the work of Christ, and we're publicly showing our alignment with and our allegiance to him as we take communion. And that is why we ask, um, for any unbelieving visitors that are here today, uh, as we take communion, just let the cup pass from you, and just use this as a time, if you're, if you're wondering about what this is, just consider some of the truths that were shared today and what you've just heard about the work of Christ. And if you'd like to learn more about, uh, about the faith, uh, please see one of the elders or deacons here. We'd love to talk with you afterwards, after the service, and, and we, we're glad you're here. And we just ask you to just uh, let the elements pass. But if you're a believer, whether you're a visitor or, or someone who comes here regularly, the elements are on the back tables. And uh, for all believers, you're welcome to partake of the elements, and you can bring them to your seat. And after some time of reflection, we'll partake of the elements together. So you can go ahead and get those, and we'll come back, and then we'll, uh, we'll pray and take communion together.